Tecovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity, and I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tecovis. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade, handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico? And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit Tacovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. You have to go beyond emotional inspiration and aspirational ideals, you know? And you, it has to get itself into your habits of your daily life and into the pragmatics of how many pairs of shoes do you own and, you know, how big is your house and how many hours a week do you work and what's your, you know, mortgage payment? What's that require of you time-wise? It, it has to get into, as Nacho Libre would say, the nitty-gritty. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. In this bonus conversation, I interview John Mark Comer about his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He provides practical steps and practices such as Sabbath, silence, solitude, simplicity, and slowing down that can help eliminate hurry and create a more intentional and fulfilling life. He also shares his own personal journey of recognizing the issue of hurry in his own life and the impact it had on his spiritual growth. If you're not familiar with John Mark Comer, he was the founding pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. He's a teacher and a writer with another wonderful book called Practicing Away that will be out next week. For those of you that are new around here, I release bonus episodes that serve a niche part of my audience. I do have listeners of all faith backgrounds that listen to this podcast, and this episode will be coming from a Christian perspective. So if that's something that does not fit what you're looking for, be sure to check out the other episode that dropped this week with Marin Drubay of the Mamahood podcast, or join me back here next week for a conversation that you don't want to miss. And now for my conversation with John Mark Comer. John Mark, thank you so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. You are welcome. I'm tripping out a little bit, though, because uh, I'm on a Minimalist Moms podcast, and my mom's name is Diane. Oh. And it's just tripping me out a little bit. So here we are. But you you look like you're my age or younger, and so it's just it's messing me up a little bit. Is your mom a minimalist? Is my mom a minimalist? No. Okay. She's not a maximalist, though. She's... I don't know. She's just kind of straight down the middle. She's a lovely soul, though. Okay. Well, she has a great name. So we're in good company here. Well, I just want to get into it. I'm sure that so many people have heard of your book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. You have a new book called Practicing the Way that has come out or will be released probably around the time that this episode's going to go out. I want to direct people, believers specifically, to that Practicing the Way book. We are going to focus a little bit more on the ruthless elimination of hurry today. So quickly, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll get into our conversation. Yeah, my name is John Mark Comer, and I recently moved to Topanga Canyon in Los Angeles. We, um, for the last 20 years, I was a church planner and pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, up in the Pacific Northwest. 
and then uh, recently stepped down for good reasons to start a new nonprofit called Practicing the Way, and we create resources for spiritual formation and the growth and the health of the soul for communities to do together. But I also write books about all sorts of things, and it sounds like one of the things we'll talk about is slowing down and simplifying your life. Yes, absolutely. And I know that in your new book, you do talk about, I, I want to mention this at the at the beginning, because you do talk about how spiritual formation isn't just a Christian or a religious thing, and that we're all being formed by something. And I think that's so important to consider as we just evaluate what is foundational in our lives. Yeah. If you're new to this language of spiritual formation, um, that's language from a particular stream of the modern Western church. It's The language itself is kind of drawn from the New Testament writings, in particular the writings of the Apostle Paul. But all we mean by spiritual formation is the process by which your spirit, and all we mean by that is your inner woman or man, your inner self, is formed into a particular shape or, you know, what older generations called a character. And yes, I make the point in the book that normally it's only Christians that use the language of spiritual formation. But I, by that definition, the process by which your inner self is formed into a particular shape, spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. It's not even a religious thing. It's a human thing. And it's a non-optional thing. We are all, we have been formed we are being formed. We will be formed. Occasionally, people, um, Christian kind of people, will say to me that they are really getting into spiritual formation. And what, what they tend to mean by that is they are reading books by experts on spiritual formation or practicing contemplative prayer or silence or slowing their life down or maybe uh, beginning to uh, process their life and past and therapy. All beautiful things. But I, I like to kind of lovingly push back and say, listen, you have been into spiritual formation since before you came out of your mother's womb. You've been spiritually formed. All of us are a product of spiritual formation. Diane is, I am, uh, Mother Teresa is, Chairman Mao or Hitler were, Genghis Khan was, Elizabeth, you know, Queen Elizabeth was. All human beings are, have been, and those that are still living are currently being spiritually formed by this complex alchemy of genetic inheritance and family of origin and childhood wounds and habits and attitudes and belief systems and faith and relationships and our environment and our phones. And that's basically what I explore in this book. I kind of want to break it down because I do think, again, it is a human thing. And I think the non-believer, because my audience isn't strictly Christian. I have so many different people with so many different backgrounds listening. But I think that people's, I guess spirituality is different than our identity because I'm thinking that people take their identities and it becomes their job or their activism or fill in the blank of something that ranks really high in their life. And that becomes an identity, but it's not necessarily your spirit. So Never mind. I kind of answered that question myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all tied together. We do who we are, you know? Yes, absolutely. So I want to get into your book about hurry. So many of us are trying to form better habits. To me, I always think that we should just start today. I don't think we need to wait for the new year or a new day. I think we can start in the next moment. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious to know a little bit more about you and when you started noticing that 
hurry was an issue for you? And was it something that you were also seeing in culture? Yeah, I mean, I've reached that tipping point that a lot of us reach of adulting and work responsibility. And we have three children and, uh, you know, your childhood wounds or just the, the accumulated pain of a lifetime begins to catch up to you at some point in your, your journey through life, whatever your faith perspective is. And I just, I'm a follower of Jesus. So my life is devoted to apprenticeship to Jesus. And one of my life goals is year over year to be spiritually formed, uh, to become more like Jesus. Uh, there's a list of, uh, character attributes or kind of inner dispositions in the New Testament in the book of Galatians or the letter of to the Galatians that uh, are called the fruit of the spirit is language used in the New Testament. And it's basically a description of the inner attributes of Christ and it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, which is kind of like what we would call emotional regulation today. And so that's one metric. It's not the only one in the New Testament, but one of my life goals is year over year to become more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle. And um, I found that after a certain point in my kind of discipleship to Jesus, as just the pressure of adult life and the hurry and the chaos and distraction of which materialism is a gigantic part, I write about that in the book. Um, the complexity of life began to settle on my shoulders. Not only was I not becoming more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient over time, I was actually becoming more irritable and anxious and uncharitable and hurried and self, you know, survival since instinct and emotionally dysregulated and exhausted um, as it all began to settle on me. And there was a moment there where a mentor of mine was mentored by a hero of mine that uh, has passed away now, the philosopher Dallas Willard from Southern California. And uh, my mentor went to his mentor many years ago at a similar place of just overwhelm, exhaustion. I can't keep living on like this. What do I, and so what do I do? And Willard had this beautiful kind of iconic line that I named the book after where he said to my mentor, he said, uh, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And he called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And when, when I um, was told that story, it just struck such a deep note in my, such a deep resonance in my, just put language. It's like when you read a really good novel and somebody somehow puts a sentence to the felt experience that you're living through as a mom or dad or husband or person. And, uh, and there's just like this deep, somehow the cloud in your mind, just all of a sudden it clears and you realize, ah, that that's it. That's the problem. And um, so I just began thinking about that for many months, which turned into many years, which turned into teaching about it, which turned into writing a book about it which has turned into 10 years basically of trying to live it, which turns out to be much more difficult. It's much more difficult to actually slow down than it is to write a book about slowing down. Who would have thought? 
Yeah. And I was going to say that. I was going to say, so I have a book on minimalism. I wrote Minimalist Moms, Living and Parenting with Simplicity. And honestly, I felt like when I was writing that book that I was a quote unquote better minimalist and lived more simply than I am currently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe I was like meeting myself in the mirror. Yes. But I feel like it is I guess my question to you is how do you actually live that out? I mean, what I I want to know simple practical steps sure, but I I just feel like it is so hard to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. It's just our culture. How do you go live so anti-culture? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the key is and this is probably where there's a lot of similarity between our work, you have to go beyond emotional inspiration and aspirational ideals, you know, and you, it has to get itself into your habits of your daily life and into the pragmatics of how many pairs of shoes do you own? And, you know, how big is your house and how many hours a week do you work? And what's your, you know, mortgage payment? What's that require of you time-wise? It, it has to get into, as Nacho Libre would say, the nitty gritty. And um, again, the hurry book, which has overtones, many people who are not followers of Jesus have read it and found it at some level helpful, but it's very much written uh, with followers of Jesus in mind. So I basically talk about what in the Christian tradition are called spiritual disciplines, or I call them practices. And I, there are quite a few, and they're basically kind of these activities that you see in Jesus' life rhythm that you see when you read the four gospels. You just see Jesus do certain things, not the things that he's famous for, healing the sick or deliverance or teaching. You see him have these kind of habits, like in Mark's gospel, one of the first stories you read very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went out to a solitary place where he prayed. And then you just read about Jesus doing this, basically getting up early or staying up late and sneaking away from people and noise to be alone with God and pray. You just see him do this constantly. And he doesn't ever command it. It doesn't, it's not in really in any of his teachings. I mean, a tiny bit in one of his teachings on prayer, he writes about, he talks about the secret place, but he doesn't like say, you need to go out into the wilderness every morning early and pray, command. He just does it. And then he says, follow me, apprentice under me and um, disciple under me. And so these kind of activities that you see in Jesus' life rhythm have come to be called the practices or the spiritual disciplines. And in the book, I name four, there are a lot more than four, but I name four that are especially helpful to mitigate against the chronic hurry and exhaustion and, you know, pulse of anxiety and burnout that so many people are living with. And they are Sabbath, silence and solitude, simplicity or minimalism, and slowing. And uh, I kind of devote a chapter to each one of these ideas. And the simplicity chapter is basically just my adaptation of the minimalism work. I'm sure it would have a lot in in common with the, the good work you do. If you're planning to cut back on alcohol this dry January, Recess Zero Proof Craft Mocktails are the perfect alcohol replacement. 
Recess has meticulously crafted familiar favorites such as lime margarita and grapefruit paloma, allowing you to savor the flavors and experience of these cocktails without the alcohol content. Throughout January, my listeners can take advantage of a special offer and get 15% off the Recess Mocktail Sampler Pack at takearecess.com minimalist. Every can of Recess boasts a lightly sparkling mocktail infused with functional ingredients and a calorie count of 25 or less. It's a guilt-free option for winding down during dry January. Again, whether it's the end of a demanding day, a dinner gathering, or simply a moment to unwind, these mocktails are the perfect choice. You won't miss the alcohol, and you certainly won't miss dealing with a hangover. Get 15% off Recess mocktails now at takearecess.com minimalist so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. For a lot of my listeners, I feel like they're on a journey to simplify their lives, but they don't want to sacrifice style, which I completely understand. And that's why I was excited to partner with Home Threads. Home Threads is the perfect blend of minimalism and comfort for your home. At HomeThreads.com, you can discover a curated collection of sleek and functional furniture that speaks to the heart of minimalist living, from multifunctional storage to timeless design. They have everything you need to create a clutter-free and serene space for your family. As most of you know, we've recently moved, and I'm not someone to just fill up a room so that it's done and decorated. I wanted to do this with intention, and so I searched out accent chairs on home threads and found the perfect mid-century modern chair that really complements my space. So embrace the beauty of less and elevate your home with purposeful pieces. Visit homethreads.com slash minimalist and get a code for 15% off your first order. Home threads, love where you live. No more stressful trips to the fitting room under fluorescent lights. With Armoire, you get to wear quality pieces without the hassle of adding to your wardrobe or paying designer prices. I'll say, as a busy mom of three, I know the importance of treating myself to something special, and Armoire allows me to prioritize quality over quantity in my wardrobe. Plus, Armoire is woman-founded and woman-led, so you can feel good about supporting a business that empowers women. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, try Armoire today. You'll never have to worry about finding the perfect outfit for any occasion again. If you're curious for some of the looks that I've chosen, check out my collaboration highlight on Instagram for a few of my favorite armoire looks. Looks that you can grab too. So right now my listeners can give armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style minimalist. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash minimalist to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. I have a new sponsor that's perfect for my show. The company is Trust and Will. Trust and Will is actually named after exactly what they do. They make trusts and they make wills. My husband and I have been putting off writing our wills for years now. With every trip that we take, we're always reminded that it's something that we need to do when we haven't. However, I've been recently talking about Swedish death cleaning. And after my episode with Emily McDermott, episode 207, I decided that I needed to put it to the top of my list. So when I saw that Trust and Will wanted a partner, I immediately said yes. And I'm really not kidding you when I tell you that my husband and I were able to sit down, work through the prompt. It's super user-friendly, and it took us maybe 30 minutes. There may be some more questions that you want to go a bit more in-depth, but for us, it took us maybe 30 minutes. I think an important part of an intentional life is planning for the future in this way. It's not the most pleasant thing to think about, but it's necessary. So you can gain peace of mind today with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash minimalist. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash minimalist. 
do you believe that we can both be healthy and busy? Is there ever room to have a healthy busyness? Well, I sure hope so, because I think busyness is unavoidable, Um, you know, unless if you are a hermit in a cave in the Himalayas or what have you. Um, Yeah, I think we need to strike a note of spiritual realism, you know, lest the ideal of an unhurried life become an emotional, you know, a form of oppression over the reality of our life. And, you know, first off, I would distinguish between, you know, busyness and hurry or healthy busyness and toxic busyness. You could use different words for it, but there's a healthy kind of busyness that just means you're living a generative life. You're a mom, you're a dad, you're working a job, you're remodeling a house and, you know, making it better for the world. You're doing, you're, you're, you're giving your life away and it's rightly tiring. Hence the need for Sabbath. Um, And then there's a unhealthy or toxic kind of busyness that I call hurry And the essence of it is simply too much to do and not enough time to do it. And it's not so much that hurry is a sin or whatever. It's that it causes us to sin. When I'm in hurried, I behave in way, not only am I unhappy and emotionally anxious and miserable and exhausted, but I be more importantly, I behave in the ways that exhausted, sleep deprived, hurried people behave in very unloving ways toward the people that I um, care about the most and, and often in unwise ways and other, other issues as well. So, um, but I think we have to take that with the grain of salt of, listen, there are seasons of life. I'm in one right now. We're recording this. I lead a nonprofit. We're coming to the end of the year. I'm doing a bunch of end of year nonprofit stuff and I'm about to launch a book and I'm doing podcast interviews and planning a tour on the road. And, you know, like I'm, I'm way out. So I'm still practicing Sabbath and doing morning prayer but man, I'm, and I'm shopping right now for Christmas presents, which I normally don't do any shopping. And so I, I'm way outside of my kind of healthy rule of life, you know, how, what the pace I like my life to go at. And it's not really helpful to beat myself up about this. If this was a chronic issue and it was going to not change, then yeah, that'd be like, okay, we need to, I need to seriously go to the mat on this one. But sometimes it's just the season of life. I got three teenagers. We just moved to a new city. We're remodeling a house. I'm launching a book. It's just sometimes that is life. So I think, you know, especially for moms or parents of any kind, we need to both fight hurry tooth and nail and not feel guilty when it feels like we're living in a battle. <laughs> you know, it is a fight. And um, and there are just seasons of life that require a lot from us. And that's actually a sign of, of uh, a self-giving and meaningful way of being. Yeah. Um, well, in, in those seasons, you talk about towards the end of your first book, you talk about something as silly as go the speed limit when you're driving. Like stop fully at a stop sign. Don't pull through it and, and do that little moseying through a stop sign. We're taking opportunities to go slower and notice. And I think in those seasons that are just by nature busier, we can implement some of these smaller, I don't know, smaller little habits that maybe go unnoticed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're working with your body. And that's the thing is when you begin to talk about how hurry is this great enemy of spiritual formation into people. This is not an intellectual idea. This is like literally a pace at which you move through your 
house or drive down the street. It's how fast you talk. It's how many things are in your schedule. It's how many sweaters you own. You know, it's, it's very pragmatic. You are working with your embodied daily life to slow it down to the pace of Jesus. What a, a Japanese theologian, Kazuki Koyama, that I quote in the book calls the, the speed of love. Um, and you notice deeply loving people tend to be deeply present, calm, and unhurried. I've yet to meet a super stressed out, hurried person who's also like just the embodiment of love. It just doesn't, they're incompatible. Mm, that's, yeah, that's so interesting. I think for me, with my faith, I absolutely, it's honestly the first thing that should stay. But one of the first things that goes is that time of prayer or silence or meditation. I usually will fill it with sleep. Mm -hmm. But I think that if I'm to be more like Jesus, like you said, he went out and just did these habits of I'm going to go pray and take that time because then I can go through my day and actually show up fulfilled. Yep. Yes. Well, I'm curious, a lot of people that I know that are not believers have read your book and it was profound, but what do you say to the people that have come up to you and don't have a faith practice? I guess, how do you encourage them to seek out the faith in Christ? How do you encourage them in that way through your writing? Well, again, I mean, most of my writing isn't geared toward people all over the, I'm not trying to write to the whole world. I'm trying to write to a subset of people, but I love it when people outside of my, yeah, kind of target audience find it helpful or interested. I I just, I find that such a joy and delight. And I think um, I, I write a lot in one of my other books actually called Live No Lies about, there's this idea in the library of scripture the Hebrew word for it is chokmah, and it's translated into English as wisdom. And in the biblical imagination, in the same way that in our kind of modern Western world, we have this concept of natural laws, like, for example, gravity, um, which is this kind of understanding of, hey, whether you believe the universe was created and designed by a beautiful mind or evolved chaotically as a glorious accident. Um, I'm very much of the former, not the latter, but either way, scientists, you know, teach us about natural laws, just kind of woven into the universe and take a law like gravity or the law of thermodynamics or E equals MC squared. Um, If you harness these laws, if you, relate to them and posture yourself toward them in such a way, you can create an airplane and you can fly. And if you live in out of harmony with these laws or in denial or ignorance of them, you know, if you walk off the top of a building, you know, you versus the law of gravity, you will lose, you know? And um, in the biblical imagination, in the same way that there are natural laws to the universe, there are moral and relational laws to the universe. And this is where most modern Western people, you immediately lose almost everyone. But, um, you know, many of Jesus's teachings are one, one thing that's really interesting is how many of them don't get framed as commands. They get framed about statements about of reality. So when he says, the last will be first and the first will be last. Uh, 
Um, or when he says, for example, it is better to give than to receive. Let's take this to minimalism. He doesn't say you need to give more than you receive. He just said, he makes a statement. It's not a command that it is better. Actually, another way to translate that Greek is you will be happier if you give than if you receive. Now, shocker, social scientists have now absolutely demonstrated this fact that there's more joy in living a simple life that is generous than having a bunch of things and, uh, you know, getting more like shocking. So hence the whole, there's a huge movement toward minimalism from people that aren't Christians and don't follow Jesus. And almost every single thing you'd hear in the minimalist movement would find a very happy home in the teachings of Jesus or the life of a monk or a nun or most serious Christians for the last 2000 years. It's been de-spiritualized, de-theologized, but at a pragmatic level, a lot of it is what Christians call simplicity or simple living or the monks, you know, back in the day called frugality. And you find almost all of it in the teachings of Jesus at a pragmatic level. He has a whole theological worldview for it. But all that to say, Jesus has this like moral law of the universe that our life uh, is a beautiful teaching of Jesus where he says, again, statement, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Um, that's a first century rabbinic line that would find, you know, be very popular on a modern day podcast on minimalism. Life is not about what you have. It's not about getting more stuff. It's not about filling your closets. And actually, that may not make your life better. It actually may make your life worse. It may give you more anxiety, more fear, more tension in your marriage, more debt, more exhaustion from overwork. And a simple life could actually be a better life. And so the way that is wired up in the New Testament is that would be one of many kind of moral or relational laws that are woven into the fabric of the universe. And this is one where the wider culture, there's a, a subset of the wider culture that's actually, oh, maybe Jesus, maybe this is the worst wisdom here. Um, the wider culture doesn't yet agree with Jesus' wisdom on, say, human sexuality or marriage. You know, Jesus' take on marriage, that there is a covenant of marriage that is designed as the channel for our sexuality where it can be safe and and create family and children and uh, obviously that's a radically different worldview from a, a very divorce pro-divorce pro-sexuality you know as whatever is in your authentic self's desire kind of view of the wider culture and really that so the question there whether you're a christian or agnostic or anything else is which story about sexuality are you going to believe? Where are you going to put your trust? What are you going to believe will lead you to a happy life? So the way the teachings of Jesus work, when you align yourself to these moral and relational laws that God built into the human body, Sabbath would be another one, uh, built into the human structure of the cosmos, our relational wiring, the way that we're wired for relationship, not for individualism. The more you can align yourself to these and posture your life toward these in a healthy way, the more you will flourish and thrive. And the more you live out of alignment and in denial or disagreement or rebellion even against them, the more damage and wounding and pain and anxiety and exhaustion and alienation you will bring, you will heap into your own life, not because God is punishing you, uh, but just because you're living out of alignment with the creator's wisdom and good intentions and love for you in the way he wired your body, the human soul, and the world around us. So um, that's a long way, forgive my long-windedness, 
What I'm trying to say is to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus or used to be a follower of Jesus or is open or curious about the way of Jesus, um, Jesus would regularly say, come and follow me for a while. Come and see what I'm all about. Come and live kind of the way I live for a while and see if it's not better. And one at, maybe in a way, with if you've been exploring minimalism, you've actually been touching on one aspect of the way of Jesus um, at a pragmatic level. Maybe you've been finding great life and freedom and peace from it. I certainly did when I got into it. Um, and there's so you're just barely scratching the surface of a whole way of life that's more than just good habits. You know, it's not hey, prayer and mindfulness are the same thing. They're ultimately habits that make space for us to be loved by God and enter into a loving communion with God and with other people. And that's where the really, that's where the really good stuff is. So I think to somebody who is open or interested, I would say, Hey, why don't, why don't you explore um, following Jesus for a while and, and, and tapping into the way of Jesus and just see if it is not a better way to live and a better life. Um, I certainly have come to trust that it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, quickly, no, that was excellent. <laughs> that was such a great word of encouragement to everyone listening. Um, I am curious, again, those practical implementation for, again, most of my audience is moms. But for you, as a dad, you are juggling all these roles of what you just told us, like the book tour and all these other things. I'm sure most of my listeners aren't doing those exact things, but we are busy. And so I can't think kind of pulling in practicing the way and ruthless elimination. Um, what are just some steps that we can take towards being more silent or incorporating more like meditative, just quiet in our day? What does that look like for you? Well, two of the anchor practices for me with God and with other people and with my own soul are just morning prayer, um, which from the outside would probably not look that different than me doing mindfulness meditation for an hour with my phone in another room. I put my phone away. I, I do this thing called parenting your phone that I stole from my friend, Andy Crouch. So if you have little kids and you're parenting them, if you're a healthy parent, you likely put your kids to bed before you go to bed and they get up after you get up so that you can have a little buffer, you know, at the end of, cause they sleep a long time theoretically so that you can have a healthy soul and connect with your spouse or have a glass of wine or take a bath or work out or whatever, do mindfulness in the morning. Um, so I parent my phone and put it to bed at eight 30 most nights and don't let it get out of bed until after I've done morning prayer. Um, but I begin my day and from the outside, it would look a lot like, mindfulness meditation, but from the inside, while there'd be some similarities with breathing and focusing my mind, it would be radically different because I am drawing on the love of the Trinity. I'm trying to still myself to get in touch with the God who was always in touch with me and open myself up to receive his love and, and give it back in return, just quietly and gently and peacefully and joyfully. And that moment, which in seasons of busyness and stress is my mind is super distracted. It's way harder to focus. I, I still enjoy it, but I get a lot less out of it because my nervous system is so revved up, but it's still most of the time, the highlight of my day. 
And then we do a weekly Sabbath where 24 hours, uh, we st- as we record this, I'm actually, let me see, we're recording this. It's 4.45. I have an hour and 15 minutes until Sabbath starts. So I'll jump off this call, power off my laptop, go upstairs, start getting the dinner all ready. We got friends coming over. We do a big Sabbath feast. We all put our, we power off our phones. We put them in a black box. We call it the Sabbath box for 24 hours. They are out. And we do no work, no technology, no TV, and for tw- no shopping, no buying, no selling for 24 hours. We, we have four movements, stop, rest, delight, and worship. And so we just, we throw a big Sabbath feast. We eat amazing. We drink wine. We laugh. We do a fire pit. Kids all stay up late with their friends. And then we sleep in and I do prayer and reading and journaling. And we do family time and eat some more and walk the dog. I mean, it's just a delight. And that that is an anchor practice for me to have a whole 24 hours, one seventh of my life. That's a lot that is completely devoted, free of work, free of technology, free of ought to's and should do's, free of materialism, free of shopping, free of any to do any errands of any kind or chores or laundry, just a whole day to just be with God, be with my family and community and be with my own soul in a spirit of rest and delight. Um, that it's absolutely anchor practice that I got from the teachings of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, the biographies of Jesus, um, and the tradition before him. And it has so deeply enriched my life. So those two practices for me, so simple and, um, yet so radical in our day and age, you know what I mean? Like radically uncommon and yet so simple. They don't cost a penny and, uh, really, and, uh, you can do them for free or close to it. And, uh, nobody profits off of them. There's no multinational national corporations that can sell them to you. They're just woven into the fabric of the universe, waiting for you to find joy in God in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Simple, not easy, not easy to start, but I think once you see the benefit of it, you realize how necessary it is. Yeah. So we've actually started an organization called Practicing the Way, same name as the book. And we create these free resources, one of which is a four-week-long Sabbath practice designed for somebody that has never kept Sabbath in their life. And so there's a free resource. You can go to the website and get it. And it is a beautifully done uh, kind of film teaching, weekly exercises as a guidebook you can get um, for free if you want it. And uh, it'll kind of take a month of your life or you can do it slower if you want and you do it in community. It's designed to be done with a couple other people and it will train you to integrate the practice of Sabbath into your daily life. So, you know, it took us many, many years to, to, to figure out how to transition from a day off, which is a very American concept to a Sabbath. And uh, we would love to help people uh, shorten that learning curve. What took us, you know, many, many years figure it out in a few months, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll be sure to include that link in the show notes, but this was wonderful encouragement again, as people are starting the new year and just thinking through how they want to slow down. And if, again, if they're followers of Christ to be more like him. So where can listeners grab copies of your books, connect with you online? Yeah. The book is called practicing the way be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do as he did. 
the other one is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. They're both available pretty much anywhere books that are sold. And you can just Google it online. Um, you're welcome to visit my website, johnmarkcomer.com or practicingtheway.org for many more free resources. Perfect. Well, I didn't prompt you for this, but I do two rapid fire questions at the very end of every episode. Okay. And the first question is, what's, yeah, what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? I'm loving right now just all the videos and podcasts from the Bible Project. Okay. That's what's coming to mind. Just love it. I draw on that resource all the time. Yeah, those are excellent. I, even for kids, I love those for my kids. Oh, yeah. They're like, you can be a PhD or a four-year-old and you're going to love it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then my last question is, what is something that you can't stop talking about? Oh, the crown, the final season. I'm loving it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Honestly, who I, what I can't stop talking about, there's a new writer I, I love to read. And I've discovered a new writer that uh, I'm adoring. French writer, Jacques Philippe. His books have been translated into English. He has a, a little book called Searching for and Maintaining Peace. And I'm just giving it, I am probably bought it for five people this Christmas. So honestly, that's, that's what I'm just loving right now. I read, um, he has all these short books. I've almost read through his whole canon. Oh. They're almost all like 50 to hundred pages long. So I read one every Sabbath. I'll read another one tomorrow. I think I have two left and I uh, just loving his work. Okay. Well, I'll have to do some Google searches on him. I know I should be hawking my own book and trying to get you to buy that, but <laughs> here I am giving you another author to buy. He's wonderful. No, that's great. Well, thank you again so much for joining me and good luck with the release of this new book. I'm excited that you wrote it and I appreciate you joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Diane. Grace and peace to you. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.